0: Hello and welcome to PointCast. I'm your host, Francine Dash. In studio today, we have Rupertia Clay. Uh, She is a special education teacher. And uh, Rupertia, we're very happy to have you today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So before we go too far in here, we've already talked about it. You're an active voter. Uh, Tell us a little bit about some of the issues that uh, are pressing on your mind when you go to vote.
1: When I go to vote, I'm usually thinking about educational issues, um, reforms for special education and higher education, and also property taxes and healthcare.
0: Okay, okay. Now, specifically uh, regarding the type of work that you do in working with children, um, there's been a lot of talk about mental health just in general, all right? And, and it's been receiving a lot of positive attention from the public and from lawmakers. However, there still appears to be a stigma within certain communities. When you're working with these children, how do you overcome that? For me, it's based on the
1: fact that I myself was a child with special educational needs and also um, special needs in general because of physical disabilities that I have. And so I approach it in the way that my mother did, which was saying, yes, you have these reasons, but, they can't be excuses for uh, behavior or actions that are outside of what we consider typical behavior for um, people of a particular age and um, grade level.
0: Mm-hmm. So the same, st- your mother didn't change the standards for you. Correct. Right, and and so you employ that in the work you do with children?
1: I do. So what I help them understand and p- other teachers and um community leaders who also work with my students is that we're going to give them an opportunity to have equitable experiences, um, that match their needs, but we are not going to, um, give them a crutch per se, Mm um, to not be productive, to not meet certain standards that we feel are important to them for successful outcomes. So, um, you know, of course, if you need an elevator pass to go upstairs, I'm gonna give you an elevator pass, but I'm also gonna teach you other ways to get to where you need to go. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if the elevator doesn't work one day, how else can you get to the place you need to be?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I just read this week a study that was done um, regarding African American girls in school and how um, they're punished so much more harshly and mental illness is less diagnosed. Um, ha- is this something that you've had to deal with?
1: Yes, um, there is a definite disproportionate rate of not only African-American young women, but African-American males who are diagnosed or underdiagnosed with um, mental health issues. However, they that disproportionality is also shown in suspension rates and discipline rates. Mm-hmm. So where you may not have them labeled as having a special disability, um, they have the higher number for being suspended, and i I see it a lot and some of it is cultural where mm-hmm. there is not an understanding for how young ladies in in our community speak and respond mm-hmm. and how they feel about personal space and being respected mm-hmm. and so because that is not always addressed, they are they're then punished for or disciplined for. Being who they are
0: mm, without
1: mm. someone guiding, guiding something in them so that they can understand. Yes, this is who you are, but this is how you can show that in certain environments. And um, we all know, unfortunately, we have to learn code switching.
0: <laughs>
1: it, it's what we it's what we do because there's a definite cultural voice, but then there's also a voice that you have to have when you
0: are in different settings. But code switching alludes to a point that your culture isn't truly accepted. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: One of the things that I am uh, an advocate for is taking the time to build rapport with families Mm -hmm. and understanding their culture, Mm -hmm. um, even in the uh, other minority communities, such as the Hispanic community, understanding that sometimes when those students come in, um, they have been talk culturally that you know to respond a particular way and and we may look at that as defiance because they they have a different respect for adults and when they should talk and how they should speak to them Mm -hmm. so if a teacher asks a question to say for instance would you like to come to the carpet and this may be the first time this child has an, an opportunity to make a decision, mm-hmm. think about something, and make a choice based on his own autonomy? Mm-hmm. And he may say no. <laughs> and then he'll be labeled as being defiant mm-hmm. when really the question was posed to him, would you like to? In his mind, he was thinking, oh, I finally get a choice. Mm-hmm. In the teacher's mind, it wasn't a suggestion. It was just a nice, so we if we understand culture and how we need to um, learn about one another, we would know that for that child, you can't say, would you like to? You have to be very direct and say, I need you to or I would like you to come join us on the carpet.
0: Does culture also affect the way that mental health services are provided? And I say this, on two parts that I have in my mind, what I've also studied and read about in Hispanic families, much like African-American families, the parents don't want their children saddled with another thing that they're going to have to have to defend and are also concerned that they're not going to be seen the same way when they receive certain services, right? So I ask this of you based on that perception.
1: We see a lot of students and parents who will say, there's nothing wrong with my child. And um, my job is to explain to them that you're correct. It's not anything wrong. But he does have a special need. He does have a disability or cognitive disability, mental health disability. Um, and again, what I see mostly is students with emotional, behavioral, mental health disabilities. And the stigma of it all keeps parents from seeking the services that they need. And if a school um, does the evaluation and determines that yes this child does require some mental health services it also has to become a conversation with parents where you're teaching them one about what special education is and isn't because Mm -hmm. the stigma is there's something wrong with this child Um, he needs you know help he's quote unquote crazy Mm -hmm. and all the other words that you know, that we've used to dismiss saying the words, mm-hmm. um, mental health, and we've res- we say, you know, children can't be upset, they can't be depressed, and they are, and because we're not giving them, um, we're not giving them those services, then parents look at it as a negative. Mm-hmm. So we have to start with educating the parent about first what special education is and what mental health issues are, and then we can try to pr- start to provide those services for the students.
0: With mental health services, uh, are, are children, at least the children you deal with, are they primarily diagnosed through the schools or do they go out and have a diagnosis and bring that information to the school and have them partner with them? Um, and just curious as to where, where the first line of defense is for mental health for children.
1: Very rarely have I had a student that was diagnosed outside of the school setting. Really? Um, Yeah, and generally if they are diagnosed outside, the students that I've um, had the pleasure of teaching, they were students who had autism. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've not had that I can think of any students that were diagnosed with maybe mood disorder, depression, PTSD, any of those things were not diagnosed outside of the school prior to them. Coming are, to a school district.
0: Are you seeing a rise in the number of diagnoses of mental health among uh, mental health cases among children? Yes. Um,
1: just recently, I was sitting in on a conference, and this student was kindergarten, and they were looking at a diagnosis of
0: um, possible early onset bipolar. How can they diagnose that in a child who is still not? properly identifying themselves in the context of their environment yet. I don't know if there's an extension of the id stage or something else, but how how are children diagnosed? And I ask this because some parents are really suspicious of schools just labeling their kids and then relegating them to some sort of track. And again, again thinking about
1: disproportionality, um, and I guess I should preface this by saying I am not a psychologist or a psych psychiatrist. I don't diagnose, but I have taught for 20 years, Mm -hmm. eight years in IPS, and all of my years in IPS have been in the mental health
0: setting. Mm -hmm. So So um, you've seen a lot of these. I've seen a lot. You've seen more than your fair share. So you're seeing this rise. What's causing, in your opinion, the increase in mental health cases? Because we always focus on adults in the Mm -hmm. news. We talk about trauma, PTSD, and things that we're becoming more aware of with depression and suicide prevention, but now we're talking about suicide prevention amongst, amongst, amongst children.
1: children. For me, I think it's also the trickle-down effect. Um, there's a movie that I always reference. It's a movie called Nell, and I can't remember the characters, um, but Nell was, um, she has some mental health issues, mm-hmm. and her daughter lived with her, mm-hmm. and when they found them, they were out in the wilderness, and the daughter and mother shared a language that no one could decipher. Mm -hmm. And what they started to find was that the daughter didn't necessarily have these mental health issues, but she had been raised by a mother all Mm -hmm. alone in the wilderness who did. Mm -hmm. And so she learned a language and a behavior based on that mother.
0: So purely contextual, wow.
1: Yeah, and so sometimes what we're finding is a parent who has not been diagnosed or has not been treated will then have a child who has similar behaviors and similar language and similar actions. And so if they, if the parent themselves don't have uh, the fortitude or knowledge or know-how mm-hmm. to seek treatment for themselves, mm-hmm. then when someone brings it to them in a school setting, of course it's going to look like, well he <laughs> he's my child, or he acts like me, or it's... it's
0: So it can be, it can sound like an attack on the parent. Yeah. Especially if there's some mimic behavior. Let me ask you this. I was curious, because I only hear about this mainly with PTSD, but is it possible that people can manifest mental health and not just be born with it? Have you seen... Yes, um, the research shows that some mental health
1: disorders start to manifest as a child gets older. So as they reach different developmental stages, you'll start to see a manifestation of um, particular mental health issues such as bipolar or um, manic depression, um, things of that nature. Does
0: it have to be triggered or does it just, can it just develop? Us-
1: There's usually a trigger mm-hmm. um, with, with students with this so much trauma Mm -hmm. and I know in the news right now we're talking a lot about trauma-informed care Mm -hmm. how do we how do we talk to and how do we teach strategies to these students who have experienced so much trauma in their lives um, when they don't have the support outside of the school system so yes the school systems are guilty and sometimes not having the correct ear or the correct language to help students and so they get misidentified with Mm -hmm. With other issues that may not have anything to do with helping them with their mental health needs, mm-hmm. um, it's also that these children are experiencing trauma, and we have to do a better job of communicating what that language should be mm-hmm. when we are when we are dealing with them or coaching them mm-hmm. these we are not the same people we were twenty years ago, right. and right. um while kids' development is similar, their experience have have Changed so dramatically mm-hmm. i mean with the advent of just social media alone mm-hmm. has done so much to a child's psyche and esteem and confidence mm-hmm. that we have to now change the language and change what we're doing in the in classrooms and
0: in the community if a child is unfortunately misdiagnosed how do you, first of all, I want to know if you've ever dealt with a case like that. this. And secondly, how does the child get that removed from their medical records or corrected in their medical records so that they are either properly diagnosed or, you know, it's removed and it's, you know, not no longer something that they have to address? I always look
1: at it. For me, I always say it's it's a blessing and a curse to have it because you have some, um, a covering or, again, a reason for behavior, mm-hmm. and then you learn coping skills mm-hmm. based on those diagnoses. For me, any student that comes in my classroom, it really, I guess I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, that would be like saying, well, color doesn't matter. It's not that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I understand diagnosis I make sure my children understand what their diagnosis are. We talk about it all the time. We talk Mm -hmm. about what it means. And so there are two things when they have a portfolio. There are two questions in the portfolio. One of the questions says, according to your physician or your mom or your teachers, what does this diagnosis mean to you? Mm -hmm. Or what do they say the diagnosis means? And then the second question is, what do you think it means for you? What do you think we need to work on or what you need help with. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of started that base with all of my students to let them know that, again, this is what you are dealing with, but it doesn't have to be what your outcome is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not dismissing disability in any way. It's just saying we accept it, we know it, but
0: it's not an inhibitor to you achieving it's your goals
1: to whatever it is that you have to mm-hmm. do and and again for mental health in the in our communities as a whole mm-hmm. um I, I believe again it goes back to the education piece I'm mm-hmm. always saying what more can you do to educate yourself about someone else mm-hmm. um to understand someone else because mm-hmm. if we're just keep saying you know we see all these kids in the news who are doing things we, w- we couldn't imagine at 13 and 14 and right. they've killed someone right. and and we, w- we want to dismiss it and say they're bad or that, you know, no one cared about them mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever. we want to say, but we don't look at them and say, maybe there is an undiagnosed mental health issue uh-huh. or maybe it was diagnosed and they didn't receive proper care.
0: Right, and I have asked you this question before, based on that, how do you tell the difference between bad behavior and mental health amongst children? Um, Just because, you're right, we'll see children do some really, really horrible things to other children, Mm -hmm. uh, to adults, or what have you, and we think, wow, that's so unchildlike. What got that child to the point of thinking that that was a good idea for them to do? We have this recent school shooting, and and so you just wonder I, as a bystander or someone just at home watching this how how do you know you're dealing with someone with mental health issues as opposed to someone just acting out for me i guess
1: after being in the field mm-hmm. i i start to understand i start to see signs and symptoms of um what is it the repetitive repetitiveness mm-hmm. of behavior mm-hmm. um You also start to see signs where it is illogical thought,
0: Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and even with coercing and or, you know, giving the child reasonable goals or expectations, Mm -hmm. they still have an unreasonable heightened feeling or... um, self-talk that they have about whatever the situation is mm-hmm. and again I can't diagnose and so I, I go into every situation with worst possible scenario and then mm-hmm. i work my way so
0: you're working with kids who have already been diagnosed and and most of the
1: time mm-hmm. um, there are a few that are in the process of evaluation mm-hmm. and then I also work with students who have behavioral issues right. um, that have no diagnosis mm-hmm. and um, we're just always trying to come to a medium of what is acceptable in this setting, mm-hmm. and even if there's something acceptable at home, um, it it can't be acceptable here, or it won't be acceptable in the world. And again, unfortunately, with us not having the correct or the same academic language around mental health.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I get it, I get it, right. And so sometimes it gets lost in translation. Yes. So, what do you wish going? curving the ball just a little bit, what do you wish lawmakers and elected officials knew about the type of work that you did? And, and, and from the perspective of, you know, looking at policies or reforms or programs and services that could use funding, uh, what do you want them to know? What do you wish that they understood about children and mental health?
1: I would want them to know that it is not just a school issue, it is a community issue, um, it's a family issue, and it, it is going to take all of us to have the resources and the know-how to start to try to bridge that gap. Um, I always say I'm a village kid. Mm-hmm. And with with the village, it starts with the chief and works its way down into the people. And so if you don't have a chief who believes in the vision that everybody um, is successful when one person is successful, mm-hmm. then that's not gonna trickle down to, to the people. Right. And yeah. so in education, when you have reforms that are cutting funding for already underfunded programs, um, even teacher programs. So most of your teachers go to school to learn to be instructors. But with trauma-informed care, they need education in the classroom about how do I deal with a student who's not a cookie-cutter student, Mm -hmm. who has seen, you know, who has seen a parent killed or walked walked in on a mother high off heroin. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I teach this student? And if teachers have to go on their own to find these services, they may not do it because Mm -hmm. they're underpaid, they're Mm -hmm. overworked. They have classrooms that are full of students, diagnosed or undiagnosed, who are displaying
0: So some students are going without care because of the situation you're showing.
1: Yeah, sharing. And, and then we're losing resources. Um, in my building alone, there are five hundred and sixty students. We have about a I believe we have a forty 43% population of special education. I may have the numbers wrong, right. but...
0: So what does that mean when all of those children who should be diagnosed and receiving care aren't receiving the care that they mean? What What does that do to the school?
1: You see high suspension rates, um, lots of target behaviors, um, more resources being used for to deal with students with behavior issues mm-hmm. than to be in the classroom Mm -hmm. Um, I'm often pulled out of the class for behavior issues even though we have a behavior team that's 10 years ago we had one person Mm -hmm. on the behavior team Mm -hmm. and now we have two plus supplemental teachers and we're still being pulled daily because there's just so much in the way of trauma for for lack of a better word the our students are traumatized and I'm not sure If it's always at home, it Mm -hmm. it could be within the schools. It could be teachers who are tired, who are overworked, who Mm -hmm. just feel like I need more resources, and Mm -hmm. we don't have them. We don't have them.
0: How does that, how does your, your what you do and your concern about mental health for children, how does that play out into your concern for health care overall?
1: Overall, if parents had health care, I just read a, a paper the other day, and it was saying that most of the parents who are uh, impoverished use the emergency room as their health care partner, mm. and um, that's only after their child has shown enough signs and symptoms to where I really don't want my child to die, and or, and, or I don't want CPS called because mm. I failed to take Mm -hmm. my child to the hospital. Mm
0: -hmm, And -hmm.
1: parents shouldn't have to feel that way. They shouldn't have to feel like they are choosing between, you know, a meal and getting their child mental health care Mm -hmm. or choosing between rent and getting mental health care services for their child. Mm -hmm. And so I want to continue to be loud and proud saying within our school system, we have services that are essentially free. Mm -hmm. And when I say essentially, it's because they are funded through, Um, federal funds and state funds. And if Mm -hmm. we're losing those funds, then we're going to have even
0: more cases undiagnosed and more children going through the emergency room and more families. And who's
1: going to take their child to the emergency room for a mental health issue?
0: Right. And, you know, a lot of us are led to believe that through the insurance programs that exist that mental health services are covered you know especially those of us that are kind of ignorant it's not our every day right but um therapy and that sort of thing so you're basically saying that parents are making do because they don't have access to the services they need they don't have access
1: because our parents are also impoverished and mm-hmm. so how are you how are you paying for insurance that is maybe $600 a month, which mm-hmm. is an additional $200 mm-hmm. out of, if you get paid weekly, $200 mm-hmm. out of your paycheck.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some
1: parents d- go without, and I'm not going to say decide, they choose to based on what they feel mm-hmm. is the greater need. Mm-hmm. Um, within the school systems, however, we do have some free services, mm-hmm. but if you believe that a school is going to be, quote unquote, in your business, mm-hmm. because now you're using their services, again, you're less apt to use them. And mm-hmm. so we want to mm-hmm. be able to educate them about what the services are and how you can utilize them without us being all up in the <laughs> business. <laughs> um, but, you know, them right. receiving the services that they need. And so right. even with us who have health care through our jobs,
0: mm-hmm.
1: sometimes those services are only maybe six per year. Mm, okay. And okay. so, you know, you can only... <laughs> yeah this week it, you can be depressed, and you can go see that there and and of course, there are exceptions to
0: the rule right, I know that right well, you know there's a lot of young children that are being diagnosed with even schizophrenia. Yes. I'm really surprised by the number um the high number of young people um that are being diagnosed with such serious kids bipolar things that I never heard of children having to deal with so Having insurance, the insurance needs to match the needs, basically. Yes. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but I want to spend our last few minutes talking about another concern that is totally separate. You mentioned property taxes. Yes. Tell me, <laughs> what's going on, girl? What's what's up with the property taxes? <laughs> well,
1: I think property, for us, property taxes does still go into um, education because oftentimes mm-hmm. you'll hear your property taxes going up by
0: dollars. Would you support an increase? If, I, if they proposed to if fund for, all children's health care through the schools, for instance, this is way out there, would you support a $20 increase? Per I time? absolutely would. Mm-hmm. Um, the passion I
1: have for education truly, again, stems from who my mother was, who my teachers were growing up. I went mm-hmm. to a parochial school, and there those teachers were just great encouragers and um, awesome at academics but even more great at being human and Mm -hmm. building a rapport with the students and saying hey let's talk about it let's fix it let's be a part Mm -hmm. and um, you know you had those natural rewards and natural consequences and I I want that for the students that I come in contact with I want them to be able to be 100 percent themselves have autonomy and also grow up in a world that cares about them enough to say if you need this it's here mm-hmm. because when, when we want a new stadium we figure out
0: find the money we
1: find the <laughs> money
0: <laughs> uh, last couple minutes if you were to profile you know we have the presidential election coming up next year and uh, you know a lot of people are focused on parties but if you were to just profile the type of person that you would want to have in office, uh, you know, taking into consideration the issues that you shared with us today. Mm-hmm. What type of person would that be? And, and if it's a party, that's fine. I have some mm-hmm. people in here; they're diehard this or diehard that. But if there are certain aspects of the person that you want to lift up, what what would those be? Um, a
1: person who is able to um, be a a person of of the people. Um, who has had experiences not always in the corporate world um, but who they themselves have had some real life connection to what the middle class and the lower middle class and the poverty, the impoverished people, what they are going through so that when they support policy or um, support bills that are coming through, it is going to be reflective of what's going to eventually trickle down. I'm sorry, not eventually, but hit that class first. Mm-hmm. Um and so like when you're saying $20 for education, how long is it going to take that $20 in my mm-hmm. that they're taking from me to actually hit am I going to see that as they start to to um incorporate new new bills and new legislation? Am I going to start to see that soon? Mm-hmm. Is that, what's the turnaround going to be? Um a person who understands that there's not just one way. Mm-hmm. There's, mm-hmm. Ju- there's not just one way. Because if it is, we'd all, you know, we'd just be like sheeple.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sheeple, okay. So, um,
1: and, and a person that listens mm-hmm. and it shows in their actions.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll have to let that be the last <laughs> word. Good luck at the polls next year. I hope you get thank what you. you're looking for. And thank you so much for coming and sitting and talking with us thank and sharing you. your voice.
1: Thank you so much again for inviting me.